0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Willie Mandrell and Heidi Barrero. Uh, they are real estate investors in Boston, and um, I, which is, as, as I mentioned before we started recording, uh, exciting to me because that's, where, that's my hometown. So uh, I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you both for coming on today. Oh, we appreciate you having us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having
0: us. Well, why don't we start? Um, maybe you can tell us sort of how you got started in real estate. Give us a little bit about your background and, um, you know, kind of then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. Okay, Willie, I'll, you want to go first? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go first. That's
1: okay. Um, background in real estate. I'll back to two years ago. I was in banking um, before doing real estate. Met Willie um, at the time reach out to him and we had coffee became more interested in the business and from there on we just stayed connected started working for him as an intern um and as time progressed and I learned more about the business I became more just involved and um, decided to quit my full-time job at the bank and now I'm in really safe full-time
2: yeah. So same, same, same with me. I started off in, in banking and financial services uh, a little bit longer ago. Um, but you know, I I got I went to school for business finance. Um, got out, started working for Citizens Bank, Bank of America, a couple of local you know branches. Um, I wasn't good at balancing my 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 cash draw, so I was told to go find something else to do. And uh, I got my, uh, my series license, my Series 6, 63, uh, and got into financial services, uh, learned about, you know, kind of investment services and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, 2008, stock market crash, housing market crash, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and real estate was always a passion of mine. So I decided some, I think it was around 2010, just to hop in full-time and I've been full-time investor, realtor, broker, you know, ever since.
0: Okay, awesome. So how did you, you know, what, what is your, how did your portfolio get started? What, what does it look like today? What, what kind of, what, what's your, your lane in real estate? It sounds like you've got a couple if you're acting as a, as a broker as well.
2: Yeah, so um, buy and hold is what we, uh, what we focus on. Um, as your listeners are probably well aware, there are many ways to invest in real estate. I mean, there's everything from tax liens to flipping to, um, you know, there's all types of wholesaling is everything, but our focus, our niche is, uh, buying hold. Um, so 2000, right from the very beginning, uh, buying uh, small residential properties here in Boston, um, it's two to three to four unit buildings is probably our, our niche. Um, going in, um, initially, it was just buying rent ready properties, holding on to them, renting them out. And then today, uh, we focus more on distressed properties where we're going in Uh, buying things that need a significant amount of work no roof you know roof is leaking heating systems are bad Um, as you're well aware from Boston you know bad heating system is uh, you know a distressed property Um, you know windows are drafty everything else no insulation Uh, we go in, fix them up create some value or create some equity for ourselves and then and then uh, rent them out so it's essentially the uh, the burst strategy that um, I'm pretty sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with yeah
0: yeah and I guess for people that, that maybe don't know kind of what the what the Northeast is like in terms of real estate. I mean, it's it's old buildings. There, as you mentioned, it's a lot of two, three, four building type. You know, stacked uh, multifamily units. I guess I guess there are some side by side type things, but yeah. but yeah, it's it's you know old systems. As you said, no no insulation in the walls. I, I've, I've I've seen all of that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> lead paint, yeah. all of those things to deal with. So, so yeah, I think the, there's probably, you know, probably not a shortage of those types of deals that need that fixing, that need that, you know, sort of value add um, process. So what, and, and maybe, Haiti, maybe this is a question for you, but but what are you doing to find them?
1: Oh, we're doing a lot. <laughs> we're going from sending po- uh, postcards, cold calling, um going on sites uh we we'll go to a lot of auctions on site as well uh been using prop stream mls it's, it's a lot of activity in order for us to find those uh unicorns like we call them
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure yeah i'm sure it's a in in today's market it's probably not as people realize that people will pay for that even for that distressed asset so it's it's probably yeah. a little bit harder to kind of nail those down um when you so maybe walk us through a little bit like the process. So you're, you're, you're fine to deal. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, you know, to get it under contract? What, what is your process in terms of, you know, kind of from start to, to finish on that burst strategy? Yeah. Or,
1: I mean, every deal is different, but one of the things that we try to focus on primarily is understanding the seller's motivation to sell or their, their financial need, right? Um, it's a the number, it's a closing quickly so that they can have cash at hand. Um, so after finding the deal, communicating with the agent and, and just understanding their reasoning um, has helped us a lot getting it to the closing table uh, more than anything else, more than the number itself. Um, yeah. The majority of the owners are self-aware that their property um, it's in the condition that it's in, therefore it won't be at value at a already renovated home. So explaining that to them and explaining why it's worth what it's worth or what we believe it's worth that much, it's uh um, has helped us more. But having a conversation, it's
2: yeah, I I I second that. I agree. I think. um just understanding where the seller is coming from is probably the biggest thing. Um, as you mentioned, you know, Jason, there's no shortage of inventory in terms of you know old stock of homes, but there's a lot of competition in Boston as well. It's a high price market. There's a lot of money to be made, so um, you know we're competing out there with a lot of other you know investors, developers. Um, but to piggyback on what Haiti said, it's just understanding the seller's motivation. I think is the biggest thing, and then catering our offer to what they're looking for. Right? I mean, if they're believe it or not, you know, you would think that everybody would want the highest price, but some people are like, Hey, I'm not, I'm less concerned about price. I'm more concerned about getting my, my, you know, this thing sold in the next two weeks before the foreclosure auction hits or the reverse. Some people are kind of like, I can get my money in 60 days, but I want to make sure that the number that I walk away with is the highest number that I think that I can achieve. Um, Or it's um, I don't have the money to do a smoke inspection uh, will you cover the smoke inspection for me? Or will you waive the, you know, the inspection altogether? Or you take it as by, you know, take it as is, um, there are a variety of different concerns that the seller has. And we try to, whether we're talking directly to the seller or their agent or, you know, a wholesaler or whoever, just try to find out as much as we can about their motivation. And then, you know, cater our offer to that, uh, you know, to that, um, to those terms, I guess is the, is the idea.
0: Yeah. And so do you find that you're if, if you're able to get that much, you know, sort of detail on what the what the seller needs, what, the, what they're really trying to get from this? Are you finding most of your deals off market that I just I guess my the, the point of my question is, I feel like, you know, when there's a broker involved, a lot of times that you're not necessarily speaking directly to the seller. Um, so h- how are you how are you kind of navigating that? Um. I-
1: Go ahead, lady. I was just going to give a good example. Um, one of our recent projects in Weymouth, uh, Fuller Road. Uh, that was a transaction with an agent, and it was challenging at first getting in communication with him. Um, but we managed to one learn a little bit about him, right? And and this was a on REO property, right? So there was no. I'm not mistaken with it. I just want to make sure I'm providing the right information. No,
2: it was, it was, yeah. Are you? yeah, yeah. Um,
1: that was a bad example because it's not, this is an involve an owner, but getting to know the honesty, it's just getting to know the agents, getting to know also understanding how they work and how they operate and make it making it seem like, or t- let, letting them know that, hey, we're on the same team you're trying to get your client the best number, the best offer, and we're trying to also help you get to that point. Um, It is tough, yes, understanding the seller's motivation when it comes to the agent, but working collectively, and that's, I don't know, it hasn't been hard at all. I'm having a hard time answering that question because we haven't had a lot of challenges when it comes to working with other agents. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I would say that one, his, you know, agents tend to be, I think in, you know, to, to, to give you a little more feedback, I think it's communication thing. I think um, our biggest challenge, I think, is agents are at the end of the day, there's no and this is I don't want to sound, you know, uh, condescending, like I'm talking down to anybody, but there's no like communication class that you need to take or anything like that to become a real estate agent, right? I mean, anybody that you know, anybody in mm-hmm. their mother has their real estate license nowadays, and everybody's acting as an agent. So there's a certain level of professionalism or lack of professionalism that we sometimes have to kind of break through with certain agents, um, uh, poor communication skills on their end. Um, the lack of knowledge when it comes to working with investors, what, what can we offer? What does a cash offer mean? What does no contingencies mean? So sometimes I think you know, Haiti's biggest uh, obstacle is educating uh, other real estate agents about what we can do, how quickly we can do it, you know, and, and, and kind of navigating that. And then sometimes it's just getting a hold of them. I mean, that's the biggest thing I'm always bugging her about, Hey, can we go see whatchamacallit? And she's like, well, guy hasn't answered his phone yet. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, breaking through that lack of uh, professionalism sometimes on the other end um, that can come with, you know, dealing with real estate agents and dealing with sellers as well. We just had a deal, where we sat down with the seller, you know, personally gave him exactly what he wanted. Um, And then two days later, he decided he didn't want that and kind of blew the deal up. Um, So, you know, it it, it can be tough. It You know, it it depends on how you look at it. We are, we wake up every day wanting, you know, to, to go after it. You know, I mean, if you're kind of coming at this, you know, nonchalantly, then yeah, it's going to be tough. But if you really want to go after it, Um, I think like you mentioned, I think, you know, most people can do it. It's just, do you want to do it or not? So.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great point. And it's probably, probably applies to to life in general, but also, you know, sort of any, anywhere in uh, anything you're trying to achieve, right. It's like, it's, it's ultimately going to be a numbers game. So you're going to have some of these difficult conversations. You're going to have some of these difficult brokers or sellers or whatever it is, but ultimately you're just trying to get in front of as many as possible weed out the good deals and, and then, and then go after it and just, you know, make, make your best and, and keeping it uh, not, you know, keeping it objective and not emotional and just, Hey, these are where our numbers have to be at. And, you, you know, your point about, you know, the, the realtors or the brokers, not knowing necessarily how to, to, to interact with, with real estate investors versus like, a retail buyer. And, and that is a different, a different right. type of conversation. So I think, um, you know, all those things are, you know, maybe things that people aren't, aren't familiar with. Um, so once you, you know, so, sort of once you get something under contract and you're going through your process uh, on these value add deals, what kinds of things are you looking at? Are you, are you sort of vertically integrated in managing all of that construction yourself? How, how are you doing that?
2: Yeah. um, So we have this kind of three divisions to our company. It's the acquisitions, acquisition side, the development side, and then the management side. So we kind of do all of it in-house. Obviously, Haiti is our acquisitions lead. um, And then we have uh, a gentleman who is responsible for our development team. Um, So once she puts it under contract, um, my primary focus is getting it financed and getting it in-house. We hand it over to the development team and their, their focus is um you know whether it's all going to be there's going to be three different types of projects that we do one is kind of a simple cosmetic renovation uh a gut renovation which means we're taking everything down to the studs we're taking everything out plumbing electrical and starting all over and then a new construction project where we're basically going in and building up you know things from from the ground up so depending on what project is coming down the pipeline that development team We'll take it and either start, you know, uh, go getting permitting uh, for a new construction or, you know, tearing things apart or tearing out cabinets. Uh, if It's just a cosmetic rehab. Uh, and then from there, uh, working directly with our management team to say, okay, that we are, you know, 30 days from completion, two weeks from completion. Let's start getting the photographer in. let's start getting a stager and uh, getting the marketing together and then handing it off to our management team where they take it, lease it up and um, where it
0: is held today. You mentioned um, financing, getting getting that, how, how are you doing that? And I think that's a important thing for people to understand in terms of people that are operating at scale in, in real estate investing.
2: Yeah, so um, that's one of the biggest things about scale is like I said, the more you learn about financing, the more you understand about it is, I mean, that's that's a necessity to scaling any real estate portfolio. I think in the beginning, most investors are going in; they're buying their first property with some type of FHA, or here in Boston it might be a Mass Housing loan, little three and a half or three percent down, um, even five percent down for those first couple purchases. You can kind of finagle, uh, you know, things. I think, you know, for me, I had ten units before I had to learn how to get creative with financing. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the burst strategy I can give you, a, you know, a simple, you know, idea is: let's say, you know, our perfect transaction is we're buying something at roughly 600,000 or let's call it 650,000. We're putting, let's call it another 200,000 into it. Um, so we're we're buying it at six, six, putting $200,000 into it. It's at eight, um, we're all in at eight and it's worth a million when it's all said and done. If we can find those assets and that's what Hades focus was in finding those distressed assets like that with that type of after repair value or ARV, um, we can create some significant value. So what we'd most likely do is try to close quickly, try to get in, um, use hard money. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, hard money is just kind of a loan that's you know, based on the property itself, credit scores does have an issue, um, your assets a less of an issue. they hard money lenders are looking at the property itself. We'll finance it with hard money. Um, do the renovation, create the value. Again, buying it at six, putting two into it. We're into it for eight, 8.50. It might be worth a million, a million, a little bit over. And now we're going back to a commercial lender. Uh, 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 someone who, uh, the only difference between a commercial lender and a, real, a residential lender, residential, you're buying the property in your own name. Commercial uh, lending, you're buying the property in some type of other entity, an LLC, or some type of other structure. We put all of our properties into LLCs go to a commercial lender and refinance the hard money out into a traditional long-term loan. Um, And hopefully that makes sense. It's kind of a three-step process going in, buying um, with hard money, renovating the process, going back to a long, long long-term commercial lender and saying, Hey, we have an asset now that's worth a million dollars or a little bit more. We only owe this hard money lender, $800,000 on it. You have a nice 80 20 loan to value or a nice spread there. Um, and that, that commercial lender should say, yeah, I have an asset on my books that's worth a million dollars. They only are asking for a loan of $800,000. This should be a pretty easy deal to do. We'll take the proceeds from that new commercial lender, pay off the hard money lender. And now we essentially just bought a property um, with no money out of our pocket and we stand uh, with $200,000 in equity on the back end of it as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. And my, So I've heard sort of this before and, and maybe because we're on this topic, you can clarify, but my understanding has always been, or we hear this a lot anyway, is that, you know, from, from a lending standpoint, a commercial property is anything greater than five units. So if you're doing, you know, two, three, four unit buildings in Boston, that, that you're still able to kind of go to a commercial lender. don't, don't have a issue with that. I guess it's maybe that maybe there's not a real, clarification maybe i was just wrong on that
2: no 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 you i mean that's that's the uh the if you're a real estate uh agent um typically you're right in in the sense that like i said from a from a standpoint you as an individual can't go and buy a five unit building with a residential loan Right. You can't, you, that's just not, they're going to say you're an investor at that point. You can buy up to four units. After that, you're, um, you're residential, excuse me, you're commercial, uh, and you won't be able to do that. But commercial lenders don't necessarily look at, um, they don't necessarily say that you have to have more than four units where you have to be residential. Commercial lenders will lend on a single family, which I'm in the process of doing right now as long as it's held in a separate LLC, as long as it's held in a separate entity. The, the, the biggest thing is commercial lenders are not going to touch you if you are personally living there. That's number one, you can't, you can't occupy the property um, and it can't be in your own personal name. It needs to be in the name of an entity uh, like an LLC or a corporation or something like that. As long as those two things are met, you, you're, you're buying in an entity, and you're not living there you can buy a single a double a triple and anything you know in between it doesn't really matter but you're right in the sense that the majority of commercial lenders are focused on five units or above which would be the case in another you know city but here in boston i mean a typical single family is 600 to seven hundred thousand um you know dollars so i mean you know a commercial lender would you know play in that space all day long as well as long as it's you're meeting that uh those entity requirements okay
0: yeah, I mean, and I guess I'm sure part of it has to do with just the actual dollar value of the properties too, right? I, I don't imagine no. commercial lenders are going to get into, you know, if you're someplace where you can buy a, a single family for 150,000, that that may not be something where you're going to have that those same options. So I think the the cost of real estate in in the Boston area probably impacts that sort of discussion. I, and so you said you you also have a management arm, so you're you're essentially you know, from start to finish taking care of these um, what does your people talk about, you know, the right markets to invest in and here, here are the landlord friendly things and stuff like that. And so, you know, certainly Boston's not on that list of landlord friendly places to invest, but maybe you can speak to what do you, how do you feel about that? I, I, you know, there's, there is rent control in areas of Boston. I I know maybe, enlighten us on some of those rules and, and how you kind of navigate that?
2: Um, I, you know, like I said, I've been here. I mean, there's always been talks of, I mean, even before I became a real estate investor, there were talks about rent control. There, you know, a new mayor in place and there are more talks about rent control. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, this is my personal opinion. I'll let Haiti speak to it as well, but, you know, I Feel like Boston's always going to be a great place because people want to be here. At the end of the day, there's no shortage. I mean, we have some of the best hospitals in the world, some of the best schools in the world. Um, people come from all over to go to Northeastern University, Suffolk University, BU, BC, um, Harvard, MIT are both here. You know, I mean, people are coming from all over the world to go to these institutions, and a lot of times they don't leave once they once they come. You know, and uh, those schools are only getting bigger. Um, with them getting bigger, they need more housing, student housing. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, you know, we have the, the infrastructure, the economy in place. Um, and even with you know, rent control, I'm not I I don't want to concern myself with politics and things that are may or may not happen in the future. We'll, you know, like I said, when things if they happen, um, then we'll, you know, kind of deal with them and um, you know, as they as they go. But I'll let Haiti tell you, you know, like her opinion about, you know, the city and you know and what, what she thinks here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I second what everything you said. I think it's just another challenge. Similarly to COVID, we just have to adapt and work around what's going on. You know, the label costs and material costs will still be there. It might go higher, it might go lower. We just have to adjust in how we approach these properties and are we going to pay less or more? And at the end of the day, if the numbers make sense, uh, regardless of what's happening regulations out there, we just have to adjust.
2: I, I agree. Yeah, it's just making, making adjustments in the market based on you know, the environment. Like I said, at the end of the day, the demand is still going to be here. People want to be here. And, um, you know, like I said, we have a shortage of housing already. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, as, as someone from Boston, I, I everything you said there, you know, is, is reigns true. I mean, it, it's just, I think people out maybe outside of Boston, I don't know, maybe don't necessarily, you know, think of, well, you know, they think of the Red Sox or something, you know, they think that they think of Boston as, as a sports town, which it is. And I love my teams, but it's, there's so much more there, right? All, all the stuff you mentioned. I mean, there's, there's, I forget that, what's it like 600 colleges or something like that in, in greater Boston. I mean, it's, there is a ton of stuff going on. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of, there's a lot of reason that people go there and, and, um, you know, as you mentioned, people stay. So it, it's kind of, uh the the draw will will probably i don't think it'll ever go away i think the same thing you know you brought up covid haiti the, the same thing with like new york city it's it's like people outside of those cities are like oh man COVID's going to ruin those cities like, people aren't going to stop going to new york city and boston right. i mean it's just that's not going to happen it, it there's too much there there have to be adjustments as you said you know you have to you have to adapt and and things but it's it's you know the, what's there is still going to be a huge draw um what does your your portfolio look like now what what do you have uh, you know kind of uh, yeah sure we have um sorry i'm looking side, looking at check my boards so just-
2: <laughs> um we so have- much it's
0: hard to remember
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have um, it, all, it all depends and i get this question a lot it all depends on how you look at you know what what that question can be very you know answered in different ways right so i'll give you kind of the breakdown we have roughly 65 units right now that are stable that are when I say stable, I mean they're already in the demand, the management wing. Um, tenants are there; they're you know rented up and leased up. We have right now another sixteen to eighteen units um, under construction in some various capacity. They're either being built; they're going through the zoning process right now. Um, so that's another sixteen to eighteen, and another uh, ten to thirteen units uh under contract right now to be built. Um, so our goal is to have, you know, uh, roughly 100 units uh in the next 24 months um over on that management side stabilized uh and um you know, fully fully leased up and tenanted uh all within the Boston area. And then we have a couple deals uh, right now that we're working on uh for our personal portfolios, we're trying to do some things with Airbnb. Uh, as we speak we're trying to build up that um, that rental uh, short-term rental portfolio between the two of us Um, and then a couple flips that you know we are we're working on as well
0: awesome awesome yeah I I mean I think that's I honestly don't ask (laughs) that question very often like what's your unit count I'm more just curious because because you're in Boston I, I think you know when people are you know when you're looking at large multifamily and you talk about you know 100 units sometimes that's one one deal right but right, right, right. in in boston that there's more of it happening but like that's not that's not really what's there that you don't have those you know giant uh apartment complexes like like you might have in you know the suburbs of atlanta or something like that it's it's more of these you know smaller things and so i think
2: oh. yeah yeah. And, and if you do they're they're institutional buyers they're right. they're they're not if you have a hundred unit complex in Boston or a hundred unit building in Boston, it's not one, it's Joe Smith that owns that it's, you know, AIG, you know, insurance owns that, or, you know, right. or, you know, like I said, some type of portfolio management company, or, you know, it's, it's a large entity, a group, uh, uh, you know, a hundred unit complex is almost like owning like the Boston Celtics. It's like, you need a, a, a full team right. of people right. yeah. that own, you know, that type of, you know, cause I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money, especially if you're sitting anywhere near any type of college campus or anything like that, or Mm -hmm. like a Brighton, Alston area um, where there's, you know, big money involved. And for your listeners, just to give you an idea of the type of money we're talking about, our typical rent here in our lowest price market, I would say in one of the least expensive neighborhoods, a three bedroom unit is going for almost three grand, I would say 2,800 to three grand. Some, you know, in our higher price markets, those three bedroom units are going you know, five or $6,000 in like a back bay or something like that. Um, maybe even more. I mean, I've rented apartments uh, during my, you know, uh, real estate days at $7,500 for, you know, a three or four bedroom. Um, so the rents here are crazy. Definitely a lot of money to be made, but our typical buy is a two, three or four, most likely a three or a four because twos, the rents just don't justify the cost. Uh, and they're really difficult to hold on to. So most of our stuff is threes. And throughout New England, and sorry to ramble on, but even in New Hampshire, um, you know, Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, that New England van is known for the triple-decker, or the three-family. Yeah. Um, that's, I don't know who built them in 1910, but there was one developer who cleaned up all up and down the East Coast, uh, or excuse me, the, the Northeast. Um, but these three families are everywhere, and that's, you know, that's primarily um, what we focus on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, it's it, I think before I left Boston, I didn't really know uh, that's what I knew. It was that that's what, that's what uh, apartments were, right? It was these three family buildings that, you know, you were all stacked on top of each other. That, that's all I really knew for a long time. So um, no, that's, that's very cool. Well, why don't we, let's switch gears a little bit and um, get to the part of the show where we sort of ask you the, the questions that I ask every guest and, and you can uh, each answer individually. Um if, maybe there's some synergies there. But um, the first question for you is based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. Um, and so I'll ask you each, what is your why? What, what's driving you towards success? Ladies first.
1: Oh, God, uh, on the spot. Uh, my why, um, keep it simple. I want to, and, and we're talking about individually, right? Right, yeah.
0: Sure, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, the ability to be creative while in the process of generating wealth and helping others at the same time. It's amazing how you can do that while simultaneously helping other people do it with you.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah so yeah, absolutely. For me, it's changed over time. For me, um, Hades, I think trying to be modest and trying <laughs> <laughs> for me, <laughs> it started off, I just wanted to get rich at first, you know, yeah. I mean, I was kind of like, I I Googled back then, I was like, how do people get rich? And I was like, the majority of people get rich through the stock market or real estate. And I was like, stock market's not for me, I'm going to go into real estate. But I agree with her that it's, I, I like the idea that you can wake up every day and do something different. You know, I'm in a sweatshirt some days, I'm in, you know, uh, you know, I'm going out and, you know, doing construction some days, I'm on you know, working, sitting down, having lunch with bankers other days, um, you know, it's just something different every day and it kind of keeps it interesting. Um, my why now has changed a little bit as we, uh, you know, get closer to, you know, um, you know, a hundred units in portfolios and why I think I'm, I'm kind of more in line with 80 that helping other people, you know, we do a lot around financial literacy as well. We've, we started, um, you know, uh, I organize and Katie's the uh, uh, co-organizer of Boston Wealth Builders. Roughly 2,800 people, you know, right now, investors locally uh, in that group, and we do a lot of financial literacy courses, um, just teaching people about money management and everything else. So, right now, I I would agree with her. It's more about helping other individuals find financial freedom, find their their place, you know, in the um, you know in this industry as well.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's great. makes makes total sense, and I think that the evolution of you know, sort of why you're in this and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. To some degree, it's it's got to start out with getting yourself comfortable and on the right track and everything. But then at some point you have enough money and you can, you know, sort of shift gears and start to give back to other people. So I think it's, it's you know, makes total sense that that the why would evolve over time. Yeah. All right. So here's one for you. Uh, tell us something about yourselves that not everybody knows maybe isn't common knowledge whether that's a, a special skill or a hobby or you know something some something that that will let the listeners know you a little better
1: yeah I'll say I coach volleyball part-time and I don't think a lot of people know that yeah
0: um I watch a lot of trash tv <laughs>
2: Yeah, most people, (laughs) a lot of, uh, you know, 90 day fiance, a lot of uh, married at first sight. I don't know, a lot, a lot of trash TV, Uh, spend way too much time on Netflix. You probably wouldn't think of most people that are, you know, doing something with anything. That's that's my kind of my downtime. So that's something most people probably wouldn't know about me.
0: (laughs) That's a good there are levels of trash TV, and I think that's a pretty good one. There levels of trash TV, yeah, I agree that, with that. There that, are that's certain pretty levels good. to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I love that. Um, OK, so next question is how uh, when people hear this and they want to maybe reach out, uh, how, how would they get in touch with you? We'll put it put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we have we're on social media as JJ Companies Inc. on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube channel as well. Um, the, yeah, the easiest way will be to reach out to us via Instagram at JJ Companies. Um, they do have our contact info, phone number, email address right there.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, we're on YouTube. I think it's the same thing, JJ, JJ or W Mandrell on YouTube. Follow our YouTube channel, subscribe. Um, we're going to be putting on a lot of um, you know good content in terms of following our journey and everything else. Same thing with uh, Instagram. Um, we're not too active on Facebook, but I would say Instagram and YouTube are probably the biggest two. Uh, to follow us out there, and then you know, obviously, I think we're both on LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, um, you know, and all that other good stuff out there.
0: Okay, great. We'll put that stuff in the show notes. Last question for you both: um, What piece of advice would you give to someone who's maybe getting started out in real estate and um, help them kind of get started and and you know, kind of reach the level of success that you have?
1: I would say just do it like regardless of the fear or the hesitation that you might have. Just do it. You'll be alive at the end of the day you'll be good the next day. Um, I mean, that's what I do that every day. I always tell Willie, I'm scared to do this. I don't know how to go about this, but I'm going to do it regardless. And having that mentality, it will get you to where you want to go. It'll challenge you. It'll make you realize the things that you need to work on and the things that Um, will help you get to the next point but if until you take action it would be really hard to for you as a person to understand what is it that you need to work to um grow and get to the level of success that you want to Uh,
2: focus focus on the long term Um, you know this is my just my personal opinion too many people in today's society are very short-sighted they want you know um instagram is great we're on it we pay attention to it but Instagram gives you the uh, and social media in general, gives you the, uh, uh, the, 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 this, this fake image of that. Everybody is doing everything and they get it and they they want to put something in place and they get it tomorrow or next week or then the month after. And it just doesn't work like that. You have, um, you know, Haiti hitting, you know um, you know, the real estate scene and, you know, but people don't see years of work behind the scenes, years of dedication and and time and and learning and reading and everything else behind the scenes and the same thing with me it's you know i when i'm out there they don't see 4 a.m wake ups 5 a.m wake ups they don't see late nights they see this this image this podcast episode this whatever it may be um 65 units whatever it may be but you know um you have to focus on the long term you have to be able to put in the work now and you will not get paid for it next week you won't get paid for it next month you probably won't get paid for it next year but um, if you're able to see five years out, 10 years out, real estate's a great place to be. You know, real estate is, is always gonna pay you. Um, not to drone on, but I, I tell everybody, I do not see a tech solution for real estate, a tech solution for needing a roof over your head. It's always gonna be a great business, right? You're never gonna get knocked out. It's not like the iPhone
1: 12 is gonna come in and replace the iPhone 11. It doesn't work like that in real estate.
2: You're, you know, people are, if you're a landowner, you're going to be successful. by now, wait, and uh, and be patient, uh, and it'll pay off for you.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. I think it's it truly is, you know this this theme comes up a lot, but it truly is a you know, it's not a get rich fast, but it's a get rich for sure, for sure right? Yeah. It's you know, it's it's nearly guaranteed. You have to kind of have to screw it up really bad to not be successful as long as you stick with it and give it time it's so uh it's it's really great great piece of advice from from both of you so um we'll go ahead and end it there Uh, thank you both for coming on Uh, it was awesome i I really appreciate your all your um your story and your and your advice and and perspective and uh it was a lot of fun to talk about boston so i I appreciate you having me awesome thank you for having us yeah absolutely all right If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.